It is Wednesday, January 17th, 2018, and this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Cox. Hello. This week, we have a very full show lined up for you with complete coverage of both the women's marches on Saturday the 20th, as well as the many events happening on Sunday the 21st. First organizer and media rep Janine Brunny will be with us to discuss the Seattle Women's March 2.0. And then we will speak with Cynthia Hamilton about the march happening in Spokane. We will also talk with the chair of the Washington State Democrats, Tina Podlodowski, about a series of events they're sponsoring called One Year Later, Rise and Organize Canvas Launch. And then organizer Liz Hunter-Keller will join us to talk about the multi-location day of events called Women Act on Seattle. Finally, we will speak with both Anila Afzali and Kathy Geller, who have put together events in Redmond and Sammamish as part of Women Act on Seattle. All that is coming up, so stay with us. Sunday the 21st will mark the one-year anniversary of the women's marches that happened following the inauguration of Donald Trump. The marches were the largest in American history, with as many as 5 million people marching across the country. In Seattle, anywhere between an estimated 125,000 and 175,000 people took part. This Saturday the 20th, we will have the Seattle Women's March 2.0, and here to tell us about it is the event's media rep, Janine Brenny. Janine Brunny, thank you so much for joining us. It's great to be here. So I, w- I just want to start with a basic info. So the march begins on Saturday morning. Uh, what time and where are people being directed to gather? Okay, so the march is starting from Cal Anderson Park, which is um, on Capitol Hill. And um, the programming is going to start at 10 a.m. So, you know, given that it's probably going to be um, quite an, uh, an odyssey to get there, we encourage that people, you know, get started from there, wherever they're coming from, you know, early enough um, to be able to get there by 10 if they would like to see the speakers and, and hear some of the music that's being planned. Um, we are anticipating that the actual march will leave Cal Anderson Park at around 11.30. Okay. You know, with, with, you know, with not having 100% foresight into what will happen, but that's the plan. Now, who are some of the speakers that are lined up uh, for the gathering at Cal Anderson Park? You know, we're in a situation right now where we have more speakers than we can accommodate, mm. um, but it's going to be a, con- a collection of elected people and then also people that represent communities that don't often get um, a voice or a platform at these kind of events. So we've been very focused on making sure that we include immigrant and marginalized communities. So there will definitely be people from um, from those communities. Um, and, you know, the music will be reflective of that, too. So we're going to announce the lineup of speakers a little bit later in the week. You know, to that end, and I should just ask before we proceed, I have other questions, certainly about the route and, and things like that. But, you know, uh, a number of people of color uh, pointed out that last year's march was primarily organized and attended by uh, white women. And so it does seem that the organizers of this year's march have responded to that. So there have been specific efforts to make this march more inclusive then. Yeah, I mean, and I think in a a number of of areas, um, one is that the organizing committee is primarily uh, made up of people um, that are not traditional white feminists. Um, You know, there's there's a very good representation of people from different communities so that's sort of important. Um, and then the other, you know, the, just in terms of the, the organizations that we've reached out to, to, you know, get them to participate and be included and bring their constituents, very considered efforts, um, you know, to reach out to, to all communities. And, you know, I can't speak to what the action was last year to do that. 
But this year, that's been very intentional and very conscious. And then also from a social media perspective, you know, we um, as an official march of the National Women's March organization very much adhere and support the unity principles, which basically kind of really go through all of the things that the, the organization is for and the groups. And um, and if you look on our Facebook, you'll see that we have, you know, sort of specifically said, hey, we're here to support immigrant rights. We're here to support trans rights and LGBTIA rights. And, you know, we're here to support um, Latina rights. So, um, we've we've been trying to make sure that you know in all aspects of the march that we're reaching out and and trying to make sure that people feel included. Fantastic. Uh, so, just one other question about the organization of the whole event. There's been a little bit of confusion that I have uh, seen uh, about the day itself. So, the actual anniversary of the marches is the 21st, but the marches are happening this year on the 20th. Um, and and also the initial word that. I and others that I know had heard that the, was that the marches, uh, the main march was going to be held in Olympia, and now that march has been scaled back due to permit issues. So the main march is happening now in Seattle. Have you encountered confusion from people who are looking to attend the march in Seattle? You know, I think that um, the only confusion that we've really encountered is, you know, there's two major, you know, we sort of, sort of really come to, to sort of embrace the um, reality that what we're talking about is not a, a single day event, but a weekend sure. event. Right. It's really a weekend of action, right? So people are a little bit confused about what's happening on Saturday versus what's happening on Sunday. We haven't really had much, you know, I mean, questions that come in through Facebook around the issue of Olympia versus Seattle. So, I mean, on Saturday is the march, on the, on Saturday the 20th. And then on Sunday is the Women Act on Seattle, kind of a day of action. Sure. And we have full coverage of that coming up uh, in just, right? just a bit here on the show. And we fully support that and encourage everyone that, you know, goes to the march to, you know, to find a way to contribute. Because really when it comes down to it is, you know, this is this cannot be a one day, you know, event. As important as it is for people to come together and express you know, what is on their hearts and on their minds, which to me is really kind of one of the reasons I wanted to get involved was because I wanted to help create a safe space in Seattle for, for the people that I know and for everybody else to really be able to, you know, to express what, what they're feeling, you know, whether they're for something or against something, right? I mean, to, to come together to do that. But at the end of the day, I mean, I think what's more important is that what happens next, and, you know, what's happening on the next day is a great opportunity to kind of connect with local organizations, get some training, you know, learn more. And then throughout the year to either, you know, do what people did last year, which is, you know, organize on their own, um, form groups, do, you know, how many we've all heard about the, you know, home groups of people writing to the, you know, to elected officials. Um, but, you know, we, we really need to encourage people to get involved within our community locally here in Seattle and also national rights to, you know, make a difference every day and either support those communities with their money or with their time. Right. But um, it's really the, the march is meant to set us up for another year of action. Great. So uh, about the march itself, uh, what is the specific route that is being planned for the march? I know it ends at Seattle Center. So how are people getting from Cal Anderson to Seattle Center? So what they're doing is they're going to walk from Cal Anderson Park down East Pine Street. So they'll go across I-5, head down East Pine Street at Westlake, which is a, for people, we've been asked by a lot of people who want to kind of join halfway along the, the route and, and don't necessarily want to do the whole route because they've got small children or they're, you know, ill or some other reason. So Westlake is a good point to join up with the march, which will then turn on to Fourth Avenue and, and um, then jut up and do this little um, tech cedar to Fifth Avenue, sort of, you know, walk past the front of the Space Needle and then make a left onto Thomas Street and enter uh, Seattle Center from there. 
Great. And so once we all gather at Seattle Center, uh, will there be speakers or any sort of events happening there? So we're still working with um, this, with the Seattle Center people to kind of finalize whether we will have you know activity there or whether it will be a, a dispersion point. So we'll we'll make some announcements around that later in the week. So I just you mentioned safety and a couple of issues uh, have come up in my mind, and these have to do with sort of the politics that have emerged over the last year, particularly this whole sort of non-narrative about the uh, the alt left versus the alt right. I know that the pro-Trump group Patriot Prayer, uh, this is the Vancouver-based group uh, who have demonstrated in Seattle before, they're expected to make an appearance at the march. They'll likely be dwarfed uh, by the well the anti-Trump crowds. But, you know, there has been talk that uh, there may be uh, agitators who may or may not be plants uh, who try to incite violence during an event like this. Do you have a specific directive for people if they encounter, and I'm not saying that people are going to, but if they encounter something like this, do you have a directive for, for marchers? Well, the first thing I want to say is that, you know, we're partnering very closely with the Seattle Police Department and we'll have, you know, sort of um, people that are trained in de-escalation, um, you know, on the day to to address that issue. Clearly, this SPD learned a lot from last year's march, right? Um, no one knew how many people were going to show up, and we have no idea how many people will show up this year either. Yeah. But I mean, they're they're going to be mu- they're much more prepared, right, than they were before. So we feel confident that between, um, you know, the actions of the SPD and our own people that will be trained in de-escalation, you know, that we're going to ensure a safe march for everybody. But, um, you know, we will release some information later in the week around sort of what to do. Um, you know, obviously, we're absolutely encouraging non-confrontation, um, you know, where this is this is a peaceful, family-friendly event, right? You know, average people in Seattle, you know, that want to make a difference are going to come out, and we so appreciate that. And we, you know, want to make sure that everybody's safe but has the opportunity to, you know, express their views. So the info that you're talking about can be found specifically where? On the Facebook page? We will publish that information both on the Facebook page and on our website, which is seattlewomensmarch2018.com. So uh, speaking of the Facebook page, um, I have seen that 16,000 are confirmed uh, on Facebook, although the numbers are are likely expected to be uh, much larger. And I'm wondering how you're monitoring that, uh, particularly in light of uh, Trump and his remarks uh, last week about Haiti and African nations being, quote, whole countries, uh, which certainly angered uh, progressives. Have you seen an uptick in interest in the marches since those remarks? Well, you know, it's interesting because I come from one of those countries. Yeah, you're from South <laughs> so, Africa. Yeah, I'm from South Africa. So as Trevor Manuel, I mean, Trevor Noah would say, you know, if I'm from South <laughs> Pole. So, <laughs> so um, you know, so obviously, you know, it's 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 actually very personal to me. I mean, we've seen an uptick in, you know, like a, a doubling every day of people that are coming. Hmm. And it's hard to tell whether it, you know, to ascribe it to um to that to those comments or whether it's just as we get closer to the march and we release more information you know people are sharing more and i mean you know it's 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 crazy because like we literally are getting posts every day where people say i mean and i don't know if you've been looking at the post i'm coming with five people i'm coming with 10 people we're bringing a bus you know there's um, 19 buses coming from wherever and you know we don't know if those people are coming on facebook and you know sort of registering themselves or indicating that each person is coming so it's just like so it's going to be so interesting to see who to, who actually shows up. 
But um, you know, there, there definitely has been an, an, a, a doubling, you know, in the last uh, couple of days of people that you know have told us on Facebook that they're coming. Well, I think that's great, and uh, I will just speak from experience that last year's event was just it, it kind of nourished the soul to be out among people who were feeling just as angry and outraged by everything that is happening. But there's also a very hopeful feel to all of it, and so I'm I, I'm anticipating having a, a great day on Saturday, and I know that you are too. And I, I just want to say thank you for all of the work that you have done in organizing this, and thanks for uh, for being on the show, Jeannie. Thank you. It's, it's a pleasure. And thank you for helping us get the word out. Okay. And so for those of you outside the Seattle area, there are a number of other marches happening on Saturday. If you are in or near Kenmore, that march begins at 10 a.m. at Kenmore City Hall. The Women's March on Olympia will be happening, and that will start at 11 a.m. at the state capitol. Port Townsend's Women's March will happen at 10.30 at the flagship landing building. If you are in Friday Harbor, the march begins at noon at the Friday Harbor Courthouse. And on Orcas Island, the march begins at 11.30 at East Sound Village. I will have a link to all of these listings on the SoundCloud page and on the website for you to check out. There is also a march happening on Sunday, the 24th first in Spokane called Women's Persistence March Spokane. And we talk now with the wonderful Cynthia Hamilton, who has taken over as lead organizer for this event. Hey, Cynthia, very happy to have you back on the show. Hi, how are you guys? We're doing great. So um, first of all, I just want to begin by saying that there has been a fair amount of confusion about uh, the marches uh, here on the west side of the Cascades, and it does sound like it reached over to the east side as well. Uh, At one point, it looked like the march wasn't going to happen in Spokane, and so you took the reins, and now the event is happening, as I say, on Sunday the 21st. It is being called the Women's Persistence March Spokane. There have been a few changes that have happened since the initial inception of the event in the march. Uh, Tell us what the itinerary is now. Now we're going to have two events. We're going to have a a gathering where we'll have speakers and, you know, some singing and chanting and just kind of having fun in the streets and everything and enjoying the the brisk air and, you know, all the kids in their strollers. And, you know, it's going to be a happy kind of time. And and so we'll be uh, doing that. The gathering starts at 12 o'clock at the Red Wagon Meadow. Which everybody in Spokane knows where the red wagon is right downtown in the park. And from there, uh, starting at one o'clock, those people who want to march will actually have a real live, it's, you know, a march route. And it's about nine or uh, nine to 11 blocks. I don't recall exactly. Um, but, but it's a real, it's less than a mile, but it's, uh, it's a real march and they'll be able to do more than just go around the building like they did last year. And so we set that up for them. But everybody doesn't have to march. They can just go the three blocks down the street. Uh, Also at 1 o'clock, the doors will open to the convention center. So like the children that are cold or something and the parents want to take them in, it'll be ready for them to go in and everybody, nobody's going to be uncomfortable out there, you know. And so that's how that will go. So yeah, at 1 o'clock, you'll have two choices. You can either march or you can go on ahead and go and start processing in. Okay, and so what happens then at the convention center once people arrive there? Right. Well, once they arrive there, first of all, we're not going to be standing in line like we had to do last year because we have like uh, eight to ten 
metal detectors so we can get people processed through very quickly. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> and then once we're inside, we have all kinds of people because all the people, they've been waiting for the ask, gee, do you want to set up a table to tell people about your organization that's dedicated to women or your your business that's dedicated to helping women and children and families, you know, because it's not truly just anytime you're talking about an issue about women, it's about the whole family. It's about the whole world. Right. <laughs> so um, we also have Lisa Brown will be there for sure to speak. Terrific. And I talked to Kathy McMorris Rogers personally yesterday uh, while she was at the MLK March. And uh, I said, you know, I really want you there, but I understand that you have a personal family issue that keeping you in San Diego that day. And I would understand if you can't come, but I want you there. And she understood that. But I said, I do give you an out. If you must, you can make a video and you can send your representatives uh, to introduce the video and that kind of stuff. She probably won't be very popular with that crowd. How do you imagine that video is going to be received? I don't know. I told her not to talk too much about politics, neither is Lisa. I said, just talk about being a woman and what those things mean to you and what some of your obstacles are, you know, just because when you take off all the labels, we're still all just women. We basically have all the same problems. It's just that if you're a person of money and means, your problems aren't as difficult to overcome. But if you're a person of lesser means, well, they are. And the policies that get instituted are kind of important. That's fine. Because last year, the effort was all about, as far as I could tell, the Women's March was about us going and listening to some leaders. And this year, the way I feel about what I'm hearing on the ground is that we're going to go and we're going to listen, but we're mostly going to go get plugged into our community. And so those tables that are there for various kinds of groups and organizations, they're going to be accepting volunteers who want to get signed up and register to help them, maybe, uh, you know, register as a Republican, register as a Democrat, register as a, you know, with a League of Women Voters, however you want to vote, or sign up with Planned Parenthood, or sign up with, I don't know, I don't even have a whole list yet uh, moving so fast. I don't even have a whole list yet of all the people that are there. But it sounds like it's going to be quite a turnout, and it's going to be uh, very well attended by community groups. And uh, it, it really does sound tremendous, Cynthia. Uh, I just want to say, uh, you know, congratulations and, and thanks for, for putting all of this together. Well, like I tell everybody on the crew, say, look, save your congratulations for the day after. <laughs> we got to get through this first. <laughs> And I, I will just uh, paraphrase what you told me uh, before we began our conversation, which is that you said you're busier than a one-legged woman at a butt-kicking contest. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Never. keep up the great work, Cynthia, and thanks for joining us again. I really appreciate it. Oh, my God, yes. Thank you, and thank you for helping us get the word out. That's the hardest thing. But the media coverage has been wonderful. Great. All right. Well, good luck on Sunday. Thank you. And now we will turn to the many events happening on Sunday the 21st, starting with a series of events put on by the Washington State Democratic Party called One Year Later, Rise and Organize Canvas Launch. And joining us to talk about these events is Tina Podlodowski. She is chair of the Washington State Democratic Party. Tina Podlodowski, it is always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. 
Of course. So uh, as we are talking about on this show, uh, the 21st will be the one-year anniversary of the Women's Marches of January 21st, 2017. Uh, There will be marches on Saturday the 20th happening in various locations across the state. Um, First, before we ask about the events that you have lined up on Sunday, I will just ask, uh, are the state Democrats planning to take part in any official capacity in Saturday's marches? Yes, we anticipate uh, being a strong part of Saturday's marches, not only with marching, but hopefully having the opportunity to to talk to different folks and then help engage in the efforts around registering people to vote as well. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for people to reaffirm uh, the actions that they want to do in 2018, because it's important to march and it's important to show this show of strength. Uh, against what's been happening in this terrible Trump administration. But if all we do is march, if that's the only thing, we ultimately won't win elections and uh, flip the Congress and get ourselves in a position to really make dedicated change. So we're uh, working effectively to make sure that people are out there, that they're visible, that we're marching, but that we're also registering people to vote, and then hopefully getting them out the day after the march to do a little bit of work uh, on behalf of uh, candidates and canvassing and making sure we can win elections in 2018. Yeah, so we're. Uh, I want to talk about those events. So yeah, really, we want to take the energy from these marches this year and, and stir people to action. Uh, there are four events happening, uh, and as I say, they are called One Year Later Rise and Organize Canvas Launch. Uh, they are happening in Yakima, Auburn, Issaquah, and Wenatchee. What was the genesis of these events? Certainly, like I say, you want to, you want to translate a lot of people's energy into action, but I'm, I'm curious why you chose to commemorate the weekend specifically in this way. Well, it gives uh, folks an opportunity to get a taste of what it's going to take to win these elections moving forward, and certainly where we're having the various events uh, has um, a, a particular uh, sense of, of uh, need because Three of the four canvases are in Congressional District 8, Mm -hmm. and one of them is in Congressional District 3. And in Congressional District 8, we have an opportunity to flip that district in the 8th district that was held by Dave Reichert. Uh, The Republicans are running Dino Rossi now in that race and turn that into a Democratic district. We have an opportunity in the third congressional district to take that seat away from Jamie Herrera Butler and flip that seat. And then, of course, we have a chance in the fifth and the fourth as well to flip those districts, too. But this was particularly important because there's a lot of great energy that exists in that area that is not just Democratic Party energy, but there's a terrific organization, which is the CD8 Alliance, which is comprised of indivisible groups, Democratic organizations, swing left Code Blue, so many terrific organizations that are all working together to make this happen. So when you think about rising and organizing uh, and being able to do this work, it's about all of us. So this is a chance for all the organizations to participate, to understand what it takes to identify voters so that we know who we can get out and reliably have votes uh, in 2018, and then flip those congressional seats. You know, we're only 24 seats away from being able to take back the House on the federal level, only two seats away from being able to take back the Senate. That's exciting. And it's really going to be the Western states. Yeah, it's the Western states that they're going to need to come through. Here in Washington state, we can add two, three, maybe even four uh, to that 24 total number. And um, California will add a bunch. So will other Western states. And the two 
states that are going to play in those Senate races to be able to get those Senate seats back will be Arizona and Nevada. So I think the West Coast gets to show its blue muscle and to lead the way. And in Washington state, we want to make sure that happens. Absolutely. And a special shout out to Bruce Ford, uh, since you mentioned the CD8 Alliance. He does such great work with that. Absolutely. Um, So tell us what specifically uh, people can anticipate happening at these events. Uh, I know that you're going to be going out canvassing, uh, but prior to that, what will the events be? So it'll be a chance to rally and talk about different issues and then also talk about what canvases are, how they work, and why they're so incredibly important. Look, it really comes down to uh, understanding data and understanding voters in a particular district. And so many people have moved in and out of the 8th Congressional District that we need to go in and have these conversations with voters and understand it's not just about party identification. It's not about a particular candidate even. It's about understanding what issues are important to folks and how they tie those issues into a progressive Democratic majority and how that makes sense with their lives. So for many folks, we'll be talking about jobs. We'll be talking about health care. We'll be talking about education. We'll be talking about affordable housing and a dignified retirement. I mean, all of those things uh, are issues that everyone, I don't care if you're uh, a Democrat or a Republican and independent, somewhere in between people are thinking about and worried about those areas in their lives. And so how are Democrats differentiating themselves? How are we showing that uh, there are democratic values and that we share those values? And that even across uh, organizations, because honestly, as uh, you've heard me say it before, I will say it again, as a state Democratic Party chair, I don't care if you ever call yourself a Democrat. If we have common values working together to make our state and to make our country better, and this is about pulling people together with those common values, being able to see that and then move forward to do some good in the election cycle. So I just want to be very clear on what will be happening with the canvassing. And you're, you're, you're talking about it, but I, I just want to kind of drill down just a little bit more. So specifically when people are knocking on doors, they're obviously not going to be going out and endorsing specific candidates because we don't have a, a nominee yet in either the eighth or the third right. on the Democratic side. Uh, and so we're talking more of a, a, a listening type canvassing then, yes? Absolutely. And listening canvases are so important to understand what people are thinking and how they uh, frame their worldview based on their values. So really, it's an opportunity for us to gather data, the, um, where people understand different programs come from and different aspects of government as well. You know, I'm still a big believer in government that can do good, right? We have governments that built Medicare, mm-hmm. uh, changed civil rights, built Social Security, built the interstate highway system, if you want to talk about infrastructure uh, in that way. You know, we've, we've you know, been inundated with messages for a long time from places like Fox News that, you know, tells us that government is bad, government is this. And, you know, I just don't believe that. I believe when we come together, we can have government that's effective that has a reasonable tax system that also looks uh, heavily at what just happened with the new tax bill and doesn't put the burden on the middle class, doesn't put the burden on people who are working for a living, but gives them an opportunity for a leg up and a, and a hand up, frankly, to, to all of these issues. So what are people thinking about all of these things and how can we get them then to make sure that they're registered to vote? Because we still have many people who aren't. Yeah. About 1.6 million people in Washington state are eligible to register to vote and are not registered to vote. 
when you think about who those folks are in the areas that we're in, like Yakima and Auburn, Wenatchee, Issaquah, all those places, it's women. It's people from communities of color, particularly in the Latino community, and a Latino community that's under attack now over immigration. Uh, You've got young people, and then you've got people who make less than $50,000 a year. All of these folks need their voices heard in the political system. And we're bound and determined, even if they vote against us, to get them into the system and try to understand where they are on the issues. Sure. Yeah. I mean, certainly we want them to vote with the Democrats, ideally. But uh, yeah, Yeah. it is good to have people taking part in the process. Absolutely. You know, before we go, I will mention that the state Democrats have put on a number of trainings all across the state to mobilize people to flip their districts blue. Uh, The majority of them right now have been in the 8th, called Flip the 8th. But there was also one in Kathy McMorris Rogers district in Spokane called Flip the Fifth that had just a, a jaw dropping turnout over 430 people. Tell, <laughs> tell us about that event. People Absolutely. in the Fifth are fired up. People in the Fifth fired up, and I think what it shows is that as a as a state Democratic Party, um, I, you know, I became state party chair a year ago, and I was bound and determined that we were not going to leave central and eastern Washington behind, which I think Democrats have done, leaving rural areas of the state behind and and not spending some time there. So our goal was, over the last year, has been how do we get people fired up? How do we get them uh, really taking back their congressional seats, their state legislative seats, their city council seats? And um, we put together this particular effort, and, and it was terrific. Normally, when we hold uh, one of these organizing academies, it's between 100 and 150 people who show up. We had such a great response. We bumped up the number to 200. Then we bumped it up again to 250. Then we bumped it up again to 300. And 439 people showed up for a four-hour training on how to be an organizer and how to run canvases and how to participate in the process. And all of these folks also committed to putting in 10 hours a month of their time as a result of this on the campaigns to work in the fifth CD where we have um, a terrific opportunity to get rid of Kathy McMorris Rogers, who is the ranking female Republican uh, in the Republican leadership with Lisa Brown. And it's been so interesting, all of the work that we've been doing, and I think it's paying off. Recently, the Cook Report downgraded that seat, that race from uh, a strong Republican, which Kathy McMorris Rogers has held during her entire tenure, to lean Republican, which is a big deal. Yeah. And the next step on the Cook Report continuum would be toss up. And we are working hard to get us there, too. I will encourage listeners to go back and listen to the Lisa Brown interview that we did. She is a tremendous candidate. So uh, just in closing, um, what are your thoughts personally, and now that we're at the one-year mark, uh, not only from the women's marches, but also the one-year anniversary of the inauguration of Trump? I think that um, I think that we have had a year that no one has expected, um, that it's been a year where we knew things would change. We knew they would be worse than we had expected. Than we, than we probably thought they would, but every day appears to be a new low under this administration. Mm. I think it really is jarring people and getting them to understand that majorities matter and that who's elected matters and that we also, as citizens, need to be awake and we need to understand what's happening in our government. Um, 
as you can see, what a difference that makes at the state legislature here in Washington state. You know, we finally flipped the state Senate from red to blue with the election of Manka Dingra yep. to the state Senate. And now, for example, uh, for, take a look at voting bills. Um, we are going to pass the Washington State Voting Rights Act. We're going to pass uh, automatic voter registration, pass same-day registration, and we're going to pass pre-registration for 16- and 17-year-olds. None of that would have been possible if Republicans still held the state Senate. Um, the first bill out of the gate was, you know, school breakfast, more money for school breakfast. Breakfast after the bell, right. Breakfast after the bell. And it was a bill that Republicans opposed, for heaven's sakes. Mm. You know, who can oppose making sure that low-income kids are getting breakfast at school? I mean, it's all of these things that we have a tremendous opportunity. And every day out of Washington, D.C., the Trump administration just shows us, if you think they can't go any lower, man, they can go lower. Mm-hmm. And um uh, every day, uh, you know, I start the morning and I think about, you know, DACA kids and what they're going through and what their families are going through. I think about folks who are dependent upon programs like Medicare and Social Security and what they're about to face. I think about what just happened in terms of the tax bill that's decimating so many amazing government programs that provide opportunities for folks. Uh, you know what? It, it's not just about what's coming out of Donald Trump's Twitter account on a daily basis. It's about what we do to care for people and make sure that we are strong in our community. And I think everybody has seen what somebody like Trump and what Republican majorities can do in the Congress. And I think everybody is fired up to make a change. And hopefully we will never, ever, ever forget after this experience. Absolutely. Well, those are perfect words to leave it on. Tina Podlodowski, it is always a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. And thanks for all that you do for getting just great information out to folks via the podcast. It's much appreciated. Next, we talk about Women Act on Seattle. This is a series of events happening in and around the Seattle area sponsored by Women Marching Forward, and that is women with an X for your Googling purposes. I spoke with Liz Hunter-Keller, who is one of the event's organizers, as well as its communications chair, and I asked her why they chose to commemorate the anniversary of the 2017 Women's Marches with a day of action. So instead of doing a march, We decided um, to do something that was hopefully as inspirational and as fulfilling as a march. And I know it's tough. I get it. I Mm. totally get it. Um, That march was, for most of the women that I know, like the best day of last year. Mm. Uh, Because every other day, you know, wasn't so good. Um, Pretty tough. But I feel like our event um, not only reaches most, if not all, of the communities that we try to serve, but it reaches the women and their allies um, who are willing to take the time out on their weekend to go do something that isn't as, um, you know, sexy as a march. Mm. Um, And a lot of these actions are workshops. A lot of these actions are going to be difficult for people. We're doing a lot of anti-racism training, a lot of, um, we're doing male allyship training. We are learning about how climate change uh, disproportionately affects poor people. Yeah, you have a ton of stuff lined up, and I I actually want to get into a a few of those a little more deeply. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I'm wondering if part of the reason why you've chosen a day of events 
has to do with the fact that last year a lot of people took part in the march. In fact, uh, I think on the Wikipedia page, the percentage nationwide is about 1.5% of Americans marched on January 21st, 2017, and yet the number of people who stayed active dropped precipitously, and it's hard to get, you know, real solid numbers on this, but it's somewhere between like 1 and 5% actually got actively involved in the political process. And I'm wondering if this day is in some way directed at hoping to change that. That's exactly right. I couldn't have put it better. You're exactly right. Um, I am in general a very um, respect. I'm very respectful of people's time. I know that women do everything. I know they do. And that sounds like a platitude, but it isn't. it's not. <laughs> For all of those of us who know women and who are, are close with women in our lives, we know how much women do, for sure. Exactly. They work full time and they also are the ones that get the kids dressed in the morning and take them to school. And they also are the ones that, you know, sit with homework and they do all of the cooking and they do all of the house management. They remember all the birthdays and these seem like little things, but they're also all working full time and doing things like organizing marches and being members of arts committees and social justice groups. So um, we recognize that not everyone has the time to do um, a lot of free, painstaking work. We totally get it. And I don't judge women um, who weren't able to engage as much as they wanted to this year. Um, Sometimes women, you know, we're caregivers. We have to take care of our parents. We have to take care of our kids our husbands sometimes, um, our partners, and uh, and that has to come first. And unfortunately, we don't live in a world right now yet that allows us to be caregivers and professionals and so on, um, and also lets us do the kind of engagement that we want to do. So I do not judge any marcher who wasn't able to... Um, you know, devote every minute of their lives this year to helping others. Um, I don't judge them. I I invite them back year after year. They should join. If calling their legislators like Indivisible's model is, is um, what people with disabilities or elderly women or, so, you know, people who are at home with kids can do, then that's what they do. And we need to support them in doing that. But that said, um, we all agreed that uh, the march was a very special and almost almost perfect event for what it was, and that replicating, trying to replicate perfect um, would not have the effect that we desired, and it would not support the communities that we have been um, supporting this year. So, yeah. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, Indivisible's model also includes things like uh, grassroots political work, uh, engagement, confrontation of elected officials, things like town halls, office visits, organizing, and and so forth. No, what I meant was that they have a wonderful model. A part of their model is wonderful for people who can't go out. Sure. Yeah, absolutely understood. They are really good at that. So tell us the plan about the 21st. Uh, There are events happening in hubs all over Seattle and also in the surrounding area uh, as part of Women Act on Seattle. There are, uh, by my count, nine events in total. Um, Because there are a lot of different things happening at these events, what is the central mission connecting them all? 
The mission is to get people to something um, that will change their viewpoint or in, incite some future action, uh, something meaningful, a new understanding of a culture, um, a new drive to uh, focus in on more specific policy-related actions. Um, it's a way to remind people and, uh, you know, hopefully inspire them that sometimes the organizing work that really makes a difference, again, Indivisible is awesome at this, is the all the time, um, not the kind of march on the weekends, but the phone calls in the morning and supporting organizations with boring things like <laughs> updating their Excel sheets or helping them clean up after events sure. um, and just getting to know the organizing uh, and social justice community in Seattle and the surrounding area because it's amazing. Um, and, and I think the other side of it is I don't just want to talk about Women Act as a way for people to do good. It's a way to feel good. It really is. Um, I know that people are going to go to these events, whether they go to one event at one hub, they spend a whole day at a hub, they go to several different hubs, or you know, we have standalone events from um, different organizations and businesses all around the area. Um, they're gonna leave feeling good. They're going to leave feeling inspired. They're going to leave feeling hopeful and enlightened. And um, even though the world feels really scary and sad right now, yeah. it does. We all feel it. It feels so out of our hands sometimes and so overwhelming. And federal action is really important, you know, focusing on protecting people who are being harmed or affected by the new policies from this administration. But the way to really feel, I think, connected, and this is part of the march as well, is to see the change in your own community. And what we do here matters to the rest of the country. We're leaders. Seattle is a leader. The Seattle area is a leader. What we do inspires other, uh, other cities and towns across the country. And so if we can get it right here, if we can pick one aspect or two aspects and really focus on making it better, um, we can be a model um, for elsewhere. So that is the goal for Women Act. We want to be able for we want people to be able to work in their neighborhoods, meet their communities, meet the social justice leaders who are going to be leading many of these events, and um, and come away feeling hopeful because there is so much amazing work being done, uh, more than you could ever imagine. It's uh, it's really amazing and not just kind of like the nitty gritty, like social justice work that we expect where it's like organizing right. and letter writing, but but really thoughtful, critical discourse, really elevated theories on how we can make people's lives better. Well, and that will make you feel good to take part in that. Good. And people really need that right now. And yes, so I, do. I, I don't think that we should minimize that aspect of it. No. Um, as somebody who took part in the Women's March last year, uh, I think 
I can just speak from my own experience that I think people felt so lost and hopeless after the election. And so coming together with uh, and being surrounded by 175,000 other people who were just as upset as you were uh, was was very healing. It was. All right. So let's talk about some of the events uh, that are happening. And I want to just talk about some some specific ones, because as you mentioned, you have panel discussions, there are lectures, trainings, uh, even some performances. Uh, mm-hmm. Talk, if you will, just about some of the more noteworthy events that are lined up uh, specifically for the hubs around Seattle. Okay, so I guess the biggest kind of celebrity aspect is that we are having a panel uh, called Women Power Seattle at City Hall, 10 a.m. on Sunday, and it will feature Rebecca Saldana, Lorena Gonzalez, and Teresa Mosqueda, who mm-hmm. are all um, Latina women who are powering our city and our state, um, plus a m- moderator who we haven't chosen yet, uh, but we are in the process of, and two social justice leaders um, who are, again, kind of in flux. But so we have the two city council women and uh, Rebecca Saldana is a state senator. And they are going to talk about um, both what it's like to be a woman coming through the um, political process, um, because you will see so many women this year running for office. It's going to be remarkable. They're talking about this being bigger than the previous year of the woman, which was 1992. They're saying this one's going to leave it in the dust. So, yeah. If you could see me, my arms are in the air. (laughs) Yeah. Wooting over here. Um, so they're going to talk about the political process as females and also as women of color because they are all Latina. And after that, um, we are sending folks directly from City Hall down to the Impact Hub in Pioneer Square, where we have several events lined up. We have a panel discussion with a group called Rooted in Rights. They are a disability rights group. So they're going to do a panel discussion and um, they have a postcard writing session. And you're going to find things like this at every hub, uh, postcard writing sessions and um, lectures, followed by um, at Impact Hub, the very amazing and wonderful Colleen Echohawk, who will be talking about Indigenous women and um, the plight that they are experiencing right now. Um, I believe it will deal with sexual assault and missing indigenous women, which is um, happening not just here in the United States, but up in Canada as well. Mm. So Colleen Echohawk, one of our speakers last year, um, phenomenal speaker. It would be worth traveling to Pioneer Square just to hear her talk because she is so inspiring and absolutely incredible. If you were to head up to Capitol Hill, I will preface this with, I strongly believe that the Riveter, which is our Capitol Hill hub, is going to be jam-packed. Mm. If you want to go to the Riveter, you got to go early. Right. Um, we have that, the Riveter is mainly focused on women in the work world. We have women entrepreneurship panels. We have women in science. We have um, how to start your own business as a woman. We have, and this is my, um, I'm going to make a longer plug for this in a little bit, but we have one of our three male allyship panels there called, um, I think it's called Learning Boundaries and Consent. Um, That's going to be amazing. Actually, let me say that again, okay? Sure. 
All right, hang on one second, because I want to get it right, because I really think that these, these uh, male allyship panels are huge, and I think they're going to fill up, so I want to make sure. Okay, almost there. I just want to open this up. So I'll start from um, the Riveter. Mm -hmm. So the Riveter on Capitol Hill is going to be packed. Um, we have a focus on women entrepreneurship and women in business up there. Uh, we are going to have a yoga session. We have um, a intersectional feminism panel that's featuring three um, paid speakers who are supposed to be absolutely amazing. We have a, a lecture on women and science and um, women as leaders in the science field. And we have one of our three male allyship panel discussions slash workshops called Boundaries and Consent, which we have invited um, Jay Inslee to join. Oh, wow. So we will see if he comes. All right. Um, not that he needs boundaries and consent. Just putting that out there. No, <laughs> but to have a, a male ally of his stature would be yes. very important. Yes, it would be ideal. So, yes, the Riveter is going to fill up very quickly. Um, All right. Duly noted. You heard it. Early. You heard it here again. Yeah. So if you want to get there, get there early. Yes, definitely. Seattle Center, our next hub, is focused on women in entertainment, in theater, and in the arts. Uh, there's a great youth-focused uh, panel happening there that um, has directors from the Seattle Children's Theater, Theater Puget Sound, Seattle Rep are going to be talking about um, how to get youth involved, specifically girls involved in theater and how to stick with it. And um, basically, we're hoping that a lot of moms bring their very talented daughters down um, <laughs> to find their future uh, in the stars. Excellent. Heading north, this is the hub, uh, one of the hubs that I organized, and it is so back-to-back -back full. I'm going to preface this with everything at Finney Ridge, the Finney Neighborhood Association, is awesome. My personal favorite, it's going to be a lecture and discussion called Between Americans, um, the Politics of Loneliness. And this sounds sad, but I think it resonates with me, and I, I'm sure that it resonates with you. There's a, a researcher named Bo Ting Zong who has been um, studying American political dialogue for the last year and a half or so. And she started wondering why we were so polarized as a country, more so than ever, more so than our our parents really even understand. Mm -hmm. um, I think, I don't know about you, but my parents are boomers and they don't get why we can't just hang out with people of different political persuasions. So Boateng started a research project that has now been featured, I think, in uh, The Atlantic and The New York Times called Between Americans. She got um, Trump voters and Hillary voters together um, wow. and basically tried to see what connections they could have, um, why, why there was no common ground, why we couldn't find common ground. And the kind of, I don't want to spoil it for everyone, but um, 
The internet is ruining political dialogue. Well, there you go. Yeah, and most people are listening to this uh, via the internet. So <laughs> Sorry, I'm not guys. Quite sure that. Well, this this uh, all sounds just incredible, and uh, I, I appreciate you giving us a rundown of a lot of that. And I, I will uh, again stress that this will be available for people to check out on the uh, on the SoundCloud page, and also links. There will be lots and lots of links on the website for the show as well, because uh, there are just so many events going on around the state. I. Did uh, want to mention something that I brought up earlier, which is that you are partnering with Seattle Indivisible and Indivisible Eastside, who will be doing voter registration with an event called Power to the Polls. So that's important. Tell us about that. Power to the Polls is the name of the National Women's March agenda for 2018. We are laser focused on turning the um, electorate, not just, you know, toward our our preferred candidates, but out to vote. Um, I don't, I, it would not surprise me if everyone listening to this already knows, but the last Seattle area election saw a 37% turnout rate the same year as the women's March. So Mm. we have a lot of work to do in making sure that everybody who can vote is voting and that everybody who is eligible to vote is registered. Um, And so we're just going to kick that off this year with um, a major voter registration effort in Seattle, in Bellevue. I think there are people down in Tacoma registering folks all over the east side. Um, There's about 200 volunteers right now signed up for that day. They're going to be starting at hubs, but then what we're calling roaming um, all around neighborhoods, um, both in Seattle and on the east side. Well, this all sounds incredible, and as I say, there's there's just a lot to do on that day. I think people can kind of pick and choose what they uh, find most interesting. But Liz Hunter-Keller, uh, I want to say thank you uh, for doing all of the work that you uh, have done in the past and that, you've, that you're doing this year, and uh, especially thanks for coming on the show and, uh, and talking with us today. Thanks. Anila Afzali is the executive director of the Muslim Association of Puget Sound's American Muslim Empowerment Network, and she joins us again, this time to talk about the events she and MAPS have planned as the Redmond Hub of Women Act on Seattle on Sunday, January 21st. Anila Afzali, it is so great to talk to you again. Welcome back. Well, thank you for having me back. I'm excited to join you again. Well, we're excited to have you back. So um, first, why did MAPS choose to be a part of Women Act on Seattle? Well, we wanted to really provide an opportunity to welcome our neighbors, welcome our uh, friends and colleagues and people in the community to come visit us at MAPS, especially if they've never visited a mosque before. Mm. So to give people the opportunity to come to our mosque and community center, to really learn about what happens here, uh, have the chance to observe a prayer, uh, learn a little bit about Islam, get their questions answered, because a lot of people have questions right now about Islam and Muslims and Islamophobia and other issues. So we really wanted to provide that space and that opportunity for people to get to do that as part of the multiple kinds of actions and activities and and trainings and workshops that the Seattle uh, Women's March organizers are are providing for for the larger community. So we thought it's a day of action. Let's get people active at our mosque. Uh, And in fact, that very same day happens to be uh, the same day we have our legal clinic, our free legal clinic for the community. I wanted to ask about that. Yeah, you're going to be offering free legal advice uh, for 30 minutes. Who is this clinic for, ideally? 
So this is for anybody in the community who has a legal issue. Uh, of course, we, we especially want to target those who can't afford an attorney, uh, but it is open to anybody. And uh, we have volunteer attorneys who come to us uh, and provide their time, you know, give up their time uh, to really offer this service. And this is a collaboration between uh, MCRC, which is Muslim Community Resource Center, the social services arm at MAPS, uh, in collaboration with the Middle Eastern Legal Association of Washington, or MILAW, and the King County Neighborhood Legal Clinics. So it's a coalition or collaboration of different organizations coming together and offering this service to the larger community held at MAPS, uh, and also providing an opportunity for those who may not feel comfortable going somewhere else mm. to even stay within their mosque and get services uh, to address whatever legal issues they may have. Well, that's tremendous. Uh, and I, then I know you're also offering on that same day a food drive. And then you are going to be taking part in the Power to the Polls voter registration. Uh, where specifically will you be going in Redmond? So we actually are going to be at MAPS itself. It's going to be right there. There's going to be a voter oh, registration okay. booth, and it's a drive to try to encourage people who may be at MAPS who are not registered to vote right. uh, to learn about the process and actually get registered to vote. And if they are already registered to vote, then they can maybe learn about how to help others uh, get registered to vote so that we can really try to register as many people as possible, uh, both from the people who will be visiting that day as part of our, our guests, to have them registered if they're not already. And then also the, the MAPS community members have them also consider registering if they're not already registered, because we really want to make a difference uh, in, in this next year's election. Absolutely. Yeah, it's going to require a, a, a lot of voter participation. And so that's really what we're pushing for this year. Uh, and then yeah. finally, as you say, you are doing a tour of the mosque there as part of uh, Meet Your Muslim Neighbors presentation. Um, tell us a little bit more about that. What uh, can people expect? expect uh, who are coming to attend this this part of the event. Yeah, so it, it's a, a whole series of events that we're starting at 3 p.m. Uh, and uh, specifically what we'll have is uh, the mosque tour, an observance of prayer, uh, an opportunity to hear about uh, uh, Islam 101 presentations, get their questions answered, and share a meal together with their Muslim neighbors and anybody else who joins us uh, as we continue conversations uh, in, in smaller groups, so kind of like table conversations. Mm. Uh, and again, all of it is just part of like, hey, get to know your neighbors. And specifically with the mosque tour, uh, what, what it's going to entail is really showing people what we have at the mosque, like what's common at a mosque, what, what are the different spaces and areas for, what is prayer about. Uh, but also with a place like MAPS, a lot of people don't know this, but we actually have a restaurant at MAPS. We have oh, a really? small cafe oh, at MAPS. Yeah, and these are open to the public too. So it's not just for, for Muslims, it's for everybody. Uh, so they can visit those. They can learn that we have a hair salon, we have a gym, uh, and we have a lot more. And the schools that we have there, the Islamic schools that we have, uh, the kids who are there, I think there's going to be a cooking competition that some kids will be working on uh, during that time as well. Uh, and earlier in the morning from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., we have our free medical clinic, which is also through MCRC, the Muslim Community Resource Center the social services arm at MAP. So that's also a service for the community that we are providing that very same day, but in the morning. We had a little bit of a Skype dropout. Just so for listeners, I'll ask you to repeat, do you see a medical clinic? Correct. A, okay. a medical clinic that's offered for the uh, community as well. That'll be from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. that very same day, Sunday. 
Good. Okay. Now, I do know that for the Meet Your Muslim Neighbors uh, part of the presentation, people do need to sign up ahead of time for that event to RSVP. So uh, where can they go to do that? Uh, I will provide you the links. So then you can include, hopefully include it with your podcast we there. Will. We'll have the links for, yeah, for the open house, which is the, the Meet Your Muslim Neighbors, the mosque tour, prayer observance, and the meal together, all free. But we just ask for a pre-registration so we can know how, how much food to have for everybody. Right. Uh, but if somebody forgets to register, it's not the end of the world. We, we won't turn them away at the <laughs> door. Uh, we'll, we'll still welcome them. And uh, you know, we'll look forward to having as many people with us as possible. Uh, and then also for the legal clinic and the medical clinic, those, those do require registration in advance. So I'll make sure I provide the links for those as well. And then anybody can drop in anytime for the a voter registration drive. Uh, and the food drive, if people come to, to MAPS that day, we ask them to please bring any canned foods or other uh, uh, donated items uh, with them so that we can help benefit uh, a food uh, lifeline as well. So that all sounds really fantastic. So where and when should people show up on the 21st? People should show up at three by 3 p.m. Uh, uh, on Sunday, this Sunday, January 21st. Uh, and they should show up at the Muslim Association of Puget Sound, which is in Redmond, Washington. Uh, and I'll make sure that the address is provided to you as well. Oh, you know, before we go, I wanted to ask you, uh, are you and MAPS having any sort of presence at the march on the Saturday the 20th? So for Saturday the 20th, the American Muslim community is going to be hopefully showing up in, in a large community sense. Uh, it's not MAP specific. It's just anybody in the American Muslim community okay. who's here locally, along with our friends and allies. And we'll be uh, marching together uh, right behind the indigenous women who will be leading the march. And we're very proud that they are going to be leading the march. And we will be right there in solidarity and support of them as well. Uh, and really wanting to uh, show the world that we are the American Muslim community, we're proud, powerful, and here to stay, uh, and, and we're very excited to, to participate uh, in whatever way we can. And for those who can join us, that'd be wonderful. And if they can't join us, uh, wherever they march, uh, we're, we're marching together, and that's what's important. Absolutely. Well, Anil Avzali, always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. Thank you for the work you're doing, and thanks for having me on again. Appreciate it. Of course. And finally, this week, we talk with Kathia Geller. Kathia is the hub manager of the Sammamish Women Act on Seattle event, and that will be taking place at Central Washington University Sammamish. Hey, Kathia, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Stefan, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Of course. So I just want to begin by asking you, uh, much of what you have planned for the lineup on your show has to do uh, with issues of homelessness. And I'm wondering, what made you decide to take that on? Well... You know, we have a lot of great organizations on the east side that are tackling this issue from different angles. So we figured this would be something that we could sink our teeth in. We also have a Habitat for Humanity build site mm. right in Sammamish that most people don't know about. Where is that, by the way? I don't. I, I certainly didn't know about it. <laughs> it's right on 228. Okay. Um, I actually had to drive by and find it myself. I'm like, if someone asks me, oh, really, these guys are coming to speak? Where are they? I better have an answer, so I'm glad I did. <laughs> it's on 228. There's a big sign that says Habitat for Humanity. 
and I'm really excited to find out more details. All I know is where they are. I don't know much about it. Well, you know, I think that speaks to the fact that most people don't realize that there is homelessness on the east side. Uh, Is part of what you're doing with this panel trying to raise awareness of that? Absolutely. The entire impetus for these activities over the weekend is to raise awareness around a lot of issues. One of them happens to be homeless, homelessness and refugees. I think we all uh, think that, oh, there's a lot of wealth up here. People are well off. We have a great school district. We have a lot of free and reduced lunch. We have the fabulous Issaquah Food and Clothing Bank that has kept hopping and is constantly growing. Well, they have constituents. So these are people who are using these services. So obviously, they are in our own backyard, and we don't realize it. So it's time on our side of the of the bridge that we kind of got a handle on what's going on in our area. You are also going to be screening a documentary, The Road to Nicholsville, and this is about the tent cities in Seattle. Tell us a little bit about the film and why you chose to have a screening as part of your lineup. Well, that was a lucky um, happening. Uh, The gentleman, Derek Armstrong McNeil, who's the filmmaker, um, had a connection to our group, one of the gals at Platopians for Peace, and um, he offered to come and show it for free when he found out that the focus of our hub was going to be homelessness. Uh, so it was a perfect, perfect opportunity for us, and we're extremely excited. I think he made this fabulous documentary to try and shed light on who are these people who end up in these homeless camps and why. Mm. And so this is a great topper coming at the end of our hub. Um, it's the last session. And people can go in and actually see, okay, these are the people we're going to help. Now, who are they and why did they end up here? Because this could never happen to me, right? That's right. the attitude. So we're hoping that will shed some light on on this situation from a different angle. And uh, pictures are worth a thousand words. So I think it will be a great way for people to get a real understanding of the problem. Now, you mentioned refugees as being uh, an issue that is going to be on the lineup as well. You have a breakout session planned uh, specifically about the challenges faced by refugees. Talk about that a little bit. Yes, absolutely. We are very lucky to have two great organizations that are doing phenomenal work around the refugee issue, which is big in our area. Um, One is Refugees Northwest, which will be represented by Margaret Larson who is a familiar name to most people, a household name. Uh, She has put her weight and her past experience in traveling to some of the countries where these refugees are coming from behind this organization, helping helping them in any way she can. She will be coming to talk about uh, what the work is that the Refugees Northwest is doing, and she will bring a refugee with her who will be sharing his story, uh, which should be very powerful and moving. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mahnaz Eshetu, who is the executive director of Rewa, the Refugee Women's Alliance, will also be coming to talk about a different aspect of the same issue. So there are some big um, areas down around Kent, South King County, where refugees are being housed and um, helped to integrate into society. They're providing services for them. Um, We have had several clothing and furniture drives for these refugees as they put them in small apartments. So we've been involved with them off and on, and it was wonderful for them to be able to join us and share that piece with us. 
that all sounds incredibly compelling. And so for people listening who would like to join you, this is going to be on the campus, as I said, of uh, Central Washington University, Sammamish. Uh, so where specifically should people go on campus and what time should they show up? So our event is from 12 to 4. The campus is one large building, so it's one building. There will be one entrance, and we will have a check-in desk, an answer desk right at the entrance. And the address is 120, 228th Avenue Northeast in Sammamish. And it's right on the road. They will see probably a sandwich board announcing the event right on 228th. And uh, we will be setting up a little before 12, but we expect people to arrive at 12. And by 12.30, we will be um, addressing the group as a, as a whole in an assembly, general assembly. And then we will have two breakout sessions that will repeat once over. So everyone will get to hear every speaker. And then we will give the opportunity to everyone to go see the film at the end or go and mingle with the different organizations and gather information at their tables. And I must add that we are having a representative from the League of Women Voters who will talk about upcoming elections, voter registration and answer questions. And there will be dedicated volunteers who will be there to register people or answer questions about registration for voting. And that's fantastic. Uh, Most of the people that we've talked to on today's show mentioned the importance of doing voter registration. As Tina Podlodowski pointed out earlier in the show, there are about 1.6 million people in the state who are eligible to vote who are not registered. So that is awesome. So, Kathia, you get the last word on this week's show. And I will end by asking you, since you're an integral part of all of this weekend's events, what do you hope will be the collective impact of both the marches and the events? What What are you hoping people will take away from this weekend? Well, there is so much that can be done in this weekend, and I'm so glad there is both a march and a day of action. The organizers from last year's march decided that this year they will focus their efforts on trying to draw attention to the hundreds of organizations that participated last year in the march. There is so much need and so much we can all do. I know most of us wake up every morning feeling like our hair is on fire. (laughs) We would love to do something about it, but we just want somebody to tell us what we can do and then, or at least give us a drop down menu so we can pull from it what will work with our lives. Obviously we all have jobs and lives and families. So this weekend we'll, give everyone the opportunity to either march, to voice their concerns and be counted, or to go the following day, hopefully both, go the following day to a hub that has a topic area that is of interest to them and find out how they can take concrete action, help get the vote out, register people, find out where uh, women, children, homeless, refugees, all these people have issues where you can help as an individual you know, make a meal, make a make a toiletry kit, drop it off, volunteer your time, time, treasure, talent. All of those are in demand. And we hope to be able to guide people um, and, you know, hold up the torch and stand in a corner and say, follow me. So that's what all the people who are working on all these wonderful hubs and working on the march are hoping to do is to ignite some interest in people and get people to realize that even in a small way, they can make a huge difference. I hope that's the impact that we will have. 
Well, those are incredibly inspiring words, and thank you for those. And thanks for all the work that you're doing. And uh, Kathy Geller, thank you so much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. See you guys on the buses to the march, or we'll see you at the hubs. Thanks so much, Stefan. And before we go, I will mention that in addition to what we just discussed, there are also Women Act on Seattle events happening in Bellevue and Greenwood. And there are also a series of events that are called standalone events that are, well, there are just too many to list. So I have provided a link that lists them all out for you to check out on the SoundCloud page and also on the website. And there you have it. That'll do it for this week's show. I do hope to see you at the march or at one of this weekend's events. You'll you'll see me. I'll be the uh, be the guy in the pink hat. The website for the show is indivisiblepodcast.org where you can learn more about the show and subscribe to get the latest episodes delivered directly to your email inbox. That sounds convenient. And speaking of email, the address for the show is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com and the Twitter handle is indivisiblepod. Thank you again to my many guests, Janine Brunny, Cynthia Hamilton, Tina Podlodowski, Liz Hunter-Keller, Anil Afzali, and Kathy Geller. Special thanks to Allison Ray Hannigan, Ansley Lacidas, and Louise Pathé. The executive producer for the show is Aaron Albanese. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. I'm Stephen Cox, and I thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>